0: Welcome to the first episode of this Beckham Book Club podcast. I've been reading a bunch of books and one of the books that I'm into right now that I just started is legendary and I've heard so many things about it always. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm listening to it on Audible. Uh, It's like 13 hours long so it's, it's pretty big but Right when I got into it, I've read a bunch of stuff like this like, how to be effective, uh, extreme ownership by Jocko Willink, stoicism stuff, um, the subtle art of not giving a f word. Um, I've read a lot of self help books and I love them. Can't hurt me. There's a couple, there are a couple things that all of them have in common, all of them preach. The very first concept of this book, an inside-out approach. Instead of looking at your circumstances and thinking that they need to change, think about what you need to change first. And this brings us to the very first habit that um, Steve Covey, his name, the author, Steve R. Covey, because if you have an, an R or a single letter in your name, that means you know more checks out, Um, he talks about your sphere of influence and your sphere of concern and how what you're concerned about, the economy, war, any politics, what other people think about you, all of the things that you could possibly be concerned with or interested in, the Grammys Movies that are coming out, all of those are in your sphere of concern. Within that is your sphere of influence, what you can actually handle, or what you can actually change. For example, things, uh, the way that you respond to things, that is in your sphere of influence. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I've heard this concept a billion times. Like, only worry about the things you can control, and don't worry about things that you can't control. But he goes, Pat, which is solid gold. But he goes past that. So where he goes after that is the more you focus on your sphere of influence, what you can control, the larger that sphere gets and the more things that you can change in your sphere of concern. So he he uses the example of, of kids, like his kids. If he wants his kid to do what he says... He can't actually control how his kid cleans his room, um, and if he does it or not, or the joy he has that kind of as he does it, that kind of a thing. But if he focuses in on himself and on the relationship that he has with his son, the better his relationship is, the more likely his son is to obey him and, and do things that will make his dad proud basically. So, as you focus on yourself, on the inside, the out changes, and your sphere of influence actually expands. I love this. This is one of the golden rules of being effective and living a happy life, and it's it kind of goes with the never-see-yourself-as-a-victim kind of a thing, and what can you do to make things different. That's kind of where it starts. Let's go into the very first habit. Um, I just wrote a couple notes. I was listening as I was running, and so I would literally just pull out my phone. I was like, this is too good not to write down and uh just struggle as I'm bouncing up and down on the concrete to actually type these. So one thing he said that I thought was interesting was he says, Choose uh everything you do is a choice, it's never a have to. So I'm thinking like, okay, cool. This sounds like semantics to me when people tell me this. So he uses, uses an example of, he was teaching a class and one of the kids in this high school class was like, hey, I have to leave early. I have to go to a tennis match. And he goes, you don't have to, you're choosing to. And the kid's like, um, <laughs> feels very uncomfortable. And he says, well, I, I mean, I have to. And he he goes through the consequences. He goes, okay, what would happen if you didn't go to the tennis match? He's like, well, I'd be kicked off the team. So okay, what would happen if you miss this class? He gets down to the answer being, I would miss learning whatever we're going over right now. And it's clear that the right choice is to go to the tennis match, but it's still a choice. He doesn't have to. It's very clear that that's where he should do, and so he's making that decision. And again, like I said before, this sounds like a semantics issue, like, okay, cool. What's the difference? Well, he explains that when you start saying have to instead of I choose to, you start believing that you don't have choices and that you don't have the control in your life on All the other things. And the reality is, we don't have to do anything. We have to eat. I guess we don't have to eat. We'll just die, which is a choice. But that concept is freeing in our life and it's pivotal to the whole point of this book on how to be effective and how to do it from the inside out. We get to choose. Talks about proactive people uh, versus reactive. He talked about love. I love this. He said, proactive people. Use love as a verb. Reactive people use love as a feeling. So he said that a man came to him and said, my marriage, it's, it's bad. I don't like her anymore. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. And he goes, well, we need to love her. He goes, but I don't. He goes, well, you need to do it. You need to love her. He's like, but I don't, I don't love her. And he explains how if you do the action, if you use love as a verb, then the feeling will come later. Proactive people use love as a verb and do the work. To, and then that feeling comes where reactive people only use love as a feeling. That goes along with everything in life. Reactive people do things because they feel like doing it in the moment. Proactive people do things because they know the payoff is great. I talked about this in my Instagram story on Clark Beckham Fit this morning, that, is that my name? Is it Clark Beckham Run? I don't know. Something like that. How um, I read in a Stoicism book, discipline is not suppressing your desires. Having discipline is letting your superior, deeper desires rule over your inferior, lesser desires. So um, if I'm loving my wife and I don't feel like it, I'm letting my superior desire, which is to have a good marriage and a long marriage, forever marriage, that's my superior desire. I'm letting that desire rule over my inferior desire, which is I don't feel like doing things for her. I don't feel like making her coffee and toast and a smoothie this morning, or I don't feel like asking her how she's doing or being slow to anger, those are inferior desires when there are times where you don't feel like doing those things. Let those superior desires rule over them. That's what proactive people do. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, Talked about circle of influence versus circle of concern. Change things from the inside out. Talked about that. Measure proactive. Oh, this was good. He said the metric by which you measure if you're proactive or not is how you stick to commitments. And I was like, sure. I get it. Stick to commitments, stay true to your word. It's important, integrity, trust, got it. But that's not the point he makes. He says the reason that this is such a great measure measuring stick on how proactive of a person that you are is because when you stick to commitment, when you commit to something, that means you have to make plans To commit to that thing. So if I commit to uh, a a lunch meeting tomorrow, I have to think about my day, my schedule, and I have to make decisions where I'm going to show up to that lunch meeting on time prepared also if we have stuff to talk about. So that means I'm going to have to carve out time out of my normal day to research whatever we're going to talk about And then have to be disciplined enough to know when that meeting needs to end. Maybe I need to set an alarm. Maybe I need to tell someone to call me at that time. Whatever it is. And then how to leave and keep everything in order. That flexes the muscle of proactivity. When we have a commitment and we have to bend our schedule and our lives to successfully fulfill that commitment and everything around it uh, in that day. I love that. I thought that was great. Correct um, correct own mistakes and move on, and then look at the weakness of others with compassion. So, he's the, basically how we look at, I think Marcus really has said, be hard on yourself and tolerant for everyone else, roughly, um, but also don't stick on your mistakes and then think about how bad they are and make yourself a martyrdom of your own Quote unquote perfectionism. Perfectionism is not something to admire in yourself. It's something to get free from. So many people will crucify themselves on the cross of, well, I just have to, everything has to be perfect, and then they'll think about that one thing they messed up forever, and then take some little bit of pride in the fact that they do that because it shows how much they care about the craft, when really that's just hurting you. In the long run, and it's not allowing you to move on and do better things immediately. You're you're choosing to hold on to these chains. Um, think about it in a football sense. Everybody talks about when a quarterback throws an interception. The next time they go on the field, like they got to put that behind them now. They have to. It's how good are they at putting that mistake behind them so they can continue on the game? Because it's now we got to play now the same thing in life. Correct your own mistakes, figure out what you did wrong, and then move on from those. Um, He said that when you correct your own mistakes and you learn from them, it becomes a victory, and then you're undefeated no matter what happens. Then he says, in contrast to that, look at the weaknesses of others with compassion. So not that we're—it doesn't say forgive everybody, which you should— But the point he makes is when you see someone who has an anger issue, when you see someone on the road who's flicking you off or cutting you off or being angry or someone's being mean to you, look at them with compassion. Realize that that is coming up from something wrong in their life. And that anger or that bitterness or whatever it is, is something that is negatively affecting their well-being. And having compassion for that person, if you're a Christian, it's the idea of seeing them in the eyes of God, seeing them as a child of God and how God sees them as like, man, I've been trying to get you out of that habit that's hurting you and your relationships and and they're just manifesting it and you're seeing it. And so to see it with compassion helps, one, you not get hurt by whatever's happening. It also uh, allows you to not take any offense which like pre-forgives them. So you don't even have to worry about the forgiveness aspect. You just you're already there from the beginning. And it helps you deal with the person and show when you show them compassion, the quickest way to make someone not angry is is uh is showing them compassion and understanding. That's the quickest way to resolve these issues. Love that. Last note I have Oh, I won't tell you because it's actually in habit number two, which will be the next, next podcast. But if you enjoyed this, um, make sure you tell people about it. I have absolutely no marketing in this. This is just something that I read a lot and I love to do and I love to talk about philosophy concepts of these, whether it's a self-help book like this, whether it's... Uh, I read the book Endurance about the most incredible survival story of these men that were shipwrecked basically on Antarctica um, alone in 1914 and and had to find a way back and, and survive as like 30 men. And that was amazing. I'm probably going to go through a, that book again and, and recap it on this podcast. Um, but if you're into this, talk about it, tell people about it, share it. Um, and I'll see you next time.